Amen. I'm so glad you guys are here with us this morning at Outward Church. Today I want to answer the question, how is it that you become a Christian? And now Christians, before you tune out to what I have to say, I'm asking you to consider how is it that you became a Christian? I'm asking you who have yet to believe, maybe you call yourself a Christian, but you haven't yet experienced the fullness of what that means, and maybe you might have come to a realization that you haven't yet believed, not fully, we have a message for you too because I want you to know how it is that you become a Christian. How is it that you're saved? I'm not, I'm not saying about what you do. I'm not saying about which words do you say. I'm talking about specifically what happened to you and how did it happen. I want to prepare our, our minds to kind of consider, to think back to the, to the moment you believed what happened there. What part did you play? I want to get to what I believe is maybe the foundational statement of the book of Ephesians, maybe the foundational statement of all of Scripture. What I want to talk to you about today actually is not meant for an evangelistic service. When I say that, you don't take what you hear today and go and tell people these things who have yet to put their faith in Jesus. What I'm sharing with you today is, is specifically for Christians. If you have yet to put your faith in Christ, listen. We're gonna t you can listen in on this conversation. But I'm telling you, Christians, taking this information and leading with this as you're talking with people is not going to be helpful for you in your witness. Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians because he wants Christians to think in a way. People who are already saved, he's talking to them and he's asking them to consider how is it that you were saved? This message is to Christians for the church in Ephesus, and we could say, because it was a circular, we've covered it at this point, it was handed out to churches in this region, we could just as easily say, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Salem at Outward Church. So this is to you, to the saints, this is who Paul has addressed this letter to. Christians, there's a way of thinking here that you need to have about how it is that you came to faith. So it is a message to Christians. Consider how it is that you were transformed. How did that happen? Now, before I can get into this, before I give us a foundational lens by which to look at this, I need to kind of prepare us to think right about this. There's a couple of problems that we have 
there's a couple of problems that we have as we approach God's word. As we approach the idea of God, as we start to consider his ways, as we start to consider his mind, we bring with us biases, prejudice. We, we have a, a, an already conditioned way of thinking. Now, I'm not sure how many philosophers we have here, but there are those who study various philosophies, and they vary from region to region culture to culture, age to age, you don't even think, you're not thinking necessarily philosophically, but you have a foundational philosophy. So with our, with our prejudices, the lens by which we view the world, we are more aware of our differences now than, than, than perhaps we have in other times in, in history we can't seem to agree on anything. And if you disagree with me, then you're on the other side. We can't even have conversations about where we might disagree. Those things are off limits. You have your way of seeing the world, I have my way of seeing the world. And the two cannot coexist. How did all this come about? These, these, are, these are all conditioned, conditioned by our experiences. There are things that my kids come home from school telling me, that is not a philosophy that I've taught you. Where did you hear that? Right? That's, that's a worldview. Right? And, and we're being shaped by all kinds of things. Right? Western philosophy different than Eastern philosophy. We approach life with prejudice. In fact, it is God's great design that we would kind of anticipate what would happen. It's what keeps us safe. We can recognize danger, what's sa- what is safe, what is not safe, what will be fruitful and beneficial by kind of projecting into the future based on experience. But we cannot approach God in this way. Now, I'll say that in the negative, that when I say we, we cannot in, uh, approach God uh, philosophically, I guess to say that in the positive would be we must approach God with our mind set on Scripture. See, Scripture has to be the foundation. We have to reset our worldview. We have to build our philosophy starting with the truth of God's Word, the absolute, final, and eternal truth of God's word. And instead of bringing our philosophy to God's word and saying, does this fit? Does this make sense to me? What if we abandon our philosophy and say, if this is true, because it is, how then do I need to adjust my philosophy or my worldview? We rarely take that position. As we consider about who God is, and we would say a loving God wouldn't do this and a loving God wouldn't do that. I don't believe in a God who would do these things or that things. Isn't that to approach God philosophically? It's as if to to say, I have a definition of love. I have a definition of equality. I I have a definition of good that I'm taking to God and making him to fit through a lens, and if he doesn't make sense of my understanding of love, then I either have to contort what the word of God says, 
or I have to ignore what the Bible says altogether because I can just intellectually ascend to who God is. I could just feel who he is. I know who he is by what's in my mind and what's in my thoughts, what I've observed. If we're going to approach the word of God, we cannot bring our lens, our philosophy, our biases. Because God created the world, he spoke it into existence, and he's given us his word so that we could know. Romans 1 talks about how, how men claiming to be wise became fools. Right? By, by the, our intellectual ascension, we're smarter and smarter as time goes off, goes on. We have great philosophers who have, we have a greater understanding of life, greater understanding of the meaning and purpose of life, and now God has to fit into that. So, that all of that is meant to be kind of a preparation to hear a statement. I wanna share with you a statement. The preparation is, this is not, this is not primarily evangelistic. This is, this is a way for you to be thinking. We have to remove our biases. We have to set our mind to scripture. And we have to recognize that we need to think spiritually about these things. In fact, one more preparatory verse, and then I can get into this statement, and that is in, sec uh, I'm sorry, it's 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 13 and 14. Actually, I might, have, I might have actually said start at 12. So we can start at 12. I don't have 12 written down, but I'm gonna read 12. It says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. God has given us these things. We have come to understand these things. It was not through intellectual ascension. We do not have a spirit of the world that says, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, the spirit of God who lives inside of us, those who believe, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, okay? The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So as we look at this, we have to spiritually discern this. We get tripped up when we try to go with human wisdom or human knowledge or human understanding, we try to make it fit with what our worldview is. We can't help it. We adopt, we absorb the philosophy and the worldview of the culture that we're in. And so if we're going to hear this truth, we have to start with the foundation of it's in God's word, this is the truth, and we're going to discern spiritually now, and we're gonna be okay with it not fitting with our worldview and our philosophies, okay? So I'm, I'm zooming in now on, on verse 11, and I wanna kinda of pull this apart, okay? 
We've been reading verses 3 through 14 because it's a single sentence. It's a single statement. It is something that is, uh, that is uh, I, I believe, meant to be read as a whole. And Ephesians, I'll just remind you that the very first part of Ephesians, the first three chapters, are a way of thinking. It's who you are, who God is. We don't talk anything about, now, how should you live? The Christian life does not begin with, what do you do? It's, it begins with, what do you believe about who God is and who God says you are? And that's where we are now. In the back half of Ephesians, we're going to get some instructions now on how to live but this is a how to think. Who are you? What is your identity? Who is God? And you can see right here in verse 11, it says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I'll continue in verse 12. So that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. All of this section of, 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 of Ephesians, in fact, perhaps all of Ephesians and perhaps all of the Bible is, is this, that it is to the glory of God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is our primary purpose. This is God's design in creation. This is that, this is that statement that we have to build as a foundation that all things are to the glory of God. This section starts with it, it ends with it, and it is throughout. Look in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed. In verse uh, 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. In verse 12, to the praise of his glory. And ending this section in verse 14, to the praise of his glory. All of this is to glorify God. And so then... We have, to, we have to take that, we have to interpret our entire world. How does this glorify God? I've lived some impossible moments in my life where I would have to ask that question. I've asked that question of God. I don't see how this glorifies you, God. How does me losing somebody I love glorify you, God? How does my house burning down glorify you? How does sin and, and, and destruction and, and wars and political turmoil, how are you glorified in this, God? It doesn't make sense to me. To, to come to, when I look at the world and then go back to all of this is for the glory of God, I have to hold in this tension that it does, though I don't perfectly understand it. I can say that looking back, that my suffering has been to the glory of God. In fact, I'll ask you to refer to Romans 8, uh, 28, uh, and, and we may actually refer back to this again. We know that for those who love God, 
all things work together for good. That's the part they usually put on the, uh, that's the part that they usually put on the mug, right? But, they, but it continues. It says, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I'll, I'll actually stop there because I, I wanna come back to this verse. We are promised that all things, all things will work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And his great purpose, what I'm saying to you today, his great purpose is his glory. We have problems with that through a Western philosophical lens that there would be a God who would be all about his glory because I'm not supposed to be about all my glory, right? I shouldn't be up here trying to get your glory for myself, right? You guys would have concerns about me if I was, if I was all about my glory. But for God to be all about his glory is not only good and right, but it is actually uh, the entire purpose of creation. And so if we're gonna look through that lens that, that let's start with, it's all for his glory, let me inject this statement from Martin Lloyd-Jones. My view, so this is you, you are, you, you are saying this, each one of us is saying this, every Christian would say this to himself. And you could say this in your mind right now as, as we examine how is it that a person is saved, okay? My view of the way in which I have become a Christian must satisfy, satisfy the test that it promotes and ministers to the glory of God. I'm not gonna try and convince you of a way of thinking about your salvation. What I'm saying is that your view of how you were saved must satisfy the test that it promotes and ministers to the glory of God. That God would get glory and that you would not get any. All glory to God. That is the point that Paul is making in these first uh, 14 verses is that it is to the glory of God and all of these things, all of these attributes, all of these things that have happened are to his glory. We gotta have the right mind. We gotta approach God, not philosophically, but with our mind on scripture. Now I'm gonna say something that we've been saying, but maybe it hasn't hit you. Maybe it hasn't offended you. I'm not saying everyone needs to be offended, but I think Paul's intention, and it's not just in Ephesians, he says it in other places too, is, is, is to offend Listen, the statements that are here, God chose you before the foundation of the world. You were predestined for adoption into Christ. 
He had a foreknowledge about you. I wanna go back to Romans 8 again. I'm gonna read Romans 8 again. I'm gonna read it in context, the entire part. We, we can't prefer that this is not true. We can't be uncomfortable with the fact that this is true. We can't just ignore that scripture says this. We can't try to contort scripture into our way of thinking. We have to take the words of scripture and read them and say, that's true, but I don't get it. I don't understand it. It, it feels uncomfortable inside of me. Let me read Romans 8, 28, okay? Listen to the language. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For, for everyone? No. For those who are called, called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Who's the one at work here? He, he, he. He began this work. He saved you. From the foundation of the world, he chose you. He predestined you for adoption. Does that wreck your faith? On any level? Maybe we accept it, but we've got to think practically. How, does this, how is this a help for us? Maybe you accept it, but maybe it hasn't been challenged in you yet. Here are some ways that it ends up being challenged in your life. How about when something doesn't go right? How about when you experience suffering? What, is, what does our line of thought go to? We, we think, in that moment, we think, God, I, I've, I don't understand why this is happening to me. I've, I, I, I go to church every Sunday. I, I read scripture every morning. I pray, I tithe, I serve. I, 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 I volunteer in my community. I don't really have any major sins. Why is this bad thing happening to me? What is that? We're, we're, that it's a kind of self-justification. It's a belief or a worldview that if, as, long as, I, as long as I do all of these things that are acceptable to God, then nothing bad will ever happen to me. Those things are challenged in that moment. Now, how specifically does this idea of God choosing you before the foundation of time, how could we, how could we accept that, but then at the same time, it, it, it challenges something in us? I, I can speak personally. When I first started to approach this truth, I, I would say, 
but I love God. Like, I choose him every single day. Like, I'm so grateful for what he's done. Like, I, I want to worship him. That's, that's like inside of my heart. Like, I prayed and I said, God, I want to follow you. And, and I feel like that's, that's something I've been able to give to God. And, and if I think in this way, then all of that goes away. And see, even, even in that, even that line of thinking, there's a, there's a thought that I want to have contributed something. Like, I, I'm willing to accept that Jesus did 99% of it for me, but I, I, want, I want that 1%. Can I just have the 1%? Is there some part that I can play? And what ultimately happens, if there's some role that you can play in, in, in your salvation, then there's something that you can glory in. And some of the glory that was meant for God is now directed at you. There are so, my, my hope is that you are a little bit uncomfortable because the reality is there's, there's nothing about this truth that really fits with any philosophy. It, it's, it's so outside of anything that the human mind can discover. And God made our minds, by the way. He made us to think philosophically. Great things have come from, come from, come from philosophy. In thinking, some of the best parts of society have come from a, a biblical Christian worldview. Also, some of the worst things that have happened in our history have come from a biblical Christian worldview. We have to begin with the foundation, the truth. Now, there, there is a way of, there is a way of, of thinking that, that actually brings us to a, bla a greater place of comfort as we consider these truths. There is a great benefit to consider that while God was forming the world, he specifically had Brock Jones in mind. He specifically had Greg Lung in line in mind as he's as he's speaking the world into existence he is uniquely specifically thinking about you he is specifically thinking of you as he's carrying the cross up to the top of the hill that he would lay down his life on he is specifically thinking about 
you. Knowing fully well that you are going to commit every sin that you ever would commit, that you would live the life that you would live, and even after you believe that that you still wouldn't have it figured out and you'd still be making mistakes, he had all of that in mind and said, yes, I want that one. I want that one. See, when we think that way, we actually can, can, can sing that song, God really loves us. Yeah, he's been thinking about us. In fact, what's coming in verse 15, I don't wanna give it away. Uh, it's, uh, or is it, is it 16, maybe 17? It's coming up. Uh, it, it, it talks about how we are God's inheritance. Like we receive the inheritance of God, but then it, it, it inverts and it says we are God's inheritance. See, God is looking forward to spending eternity with us. He's had us on his mind for eternity and, and plans to enjoy us as his inheritance for eternity. Who can stand under the weight of that love? In fact, we, we reject it. We reject it. It's, it's, it's almost like a survivor's guilt. So survivor's guilt, it, it, uh, I, I think it, they first started talking about survivor's guilt after the Holocaust. Basically, uh, so many people were, were murdered and they, uh, they, they were a number who lived. And for those who lived, they felt incredibly guilty that they would live and others would die. In fact, this goes back to uh, some very, very ancient worldview that, that we would be so connected to each other and that we would, we would, we would feel that, that, that connection that why would they die but I would live? There's a, there's a sense of injustice that's, that's inside of us and, 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 and that you feel that is, is, is human. And so I have a, a great deal of sympathy for uh, people who, who, who are experiencing, uh, I, I, I've met with somebody recently who uh, is a cancer survivor and in his time uh, going through treatment, he, he met some other people and, and every single one of them who had the same cancer he did has died. I think like three different people and one is about to. And he's saying, why am I alive? That isn't fair. I don't understand. In fact, that is the response the appropriate response, I think. When we would come to that moment where we would say, wait a minute, if that's true, that God chose me before I did anything to deserve it, then the next question is, why me? That's so uncomfortable. We have a hard time with that one. Not not me. There's so many people who are better deserving. But that's not the point. It's not about the glory 
of those other people. It's about the glory of God. This, it is, it is to the glory, there's some mystery here, but it is to the glory of God that he would choose you. And we would say, why? Why did you choose me? I have a friend who the, the one thing that is keeping him from being a Christian is this idea that, and I believe he's called. I, 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 think, I think God's calling him, and I think, I think he is a believer, but he's just, he's just wrestling or struggling, and, and he just has not yet put his faith in Jesus. But, but he's like, you're saying that God chose me, but didn't choose him. And it feels, it feels unfair. Why can't we receive that? Why can't we receive his rescue? It's tied to something. Guilt, shame. It's tied to, I don't deserve that. I'm not worthy of that. I, like, there's so many better people. You want me? Do you know what I've done? I'm not even gonna be able to do much for anybody. You wanna spend eternity with me? Why? It doesn't make any sense. I can't accept that. I refuse to accept it. If you're gonna let me in, then you need to let me at least do some things. I'm gonna start serving, and I'm gonna turn my life around, and I'm gonna start living a holy life, and I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna throw away all my CDs and my movies, and I'm only gonna listen to Caleb. If you're gonna accept me, then I need to start doing some things that are worth loving. And we live our whole Christian life because we just refuse to accept me. I gotta do something worth loving. And some people will walk their whole life and reject it. Brian Bradley, he's an elder. His grandfather rejected it until he was on his deathbed. I think it was six hours. Six hours before he died. And these were some of his final arguments. And, 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 and he says, okay, I accept it. God loves me and he wants me. I need his forgiveness. And he received it. I can be sure of my salvation in this truth. If any part of it depends on me, then it depends on me to keep it. I can rest in the fact that before the foundation of the world, Jesus chose me and he had me in mind when he was creating the world. There's nothing that can change that. There's nothing that can break that. So what about when I sin? When I sin, I feel, I feel insecure in that relationship. God, I've broken something. Are we still okay? God, God, what do I do now? I can't seem to get it right. See, we understand that God 
who, who exists in the past and the future and right now and throughout eternity already is with you, enjoying you in eternity and sees this moment in your life, this blip in your life as just the time where your faith is weak. Jesus, as he calms the storm after the disciples are freaking out on the boat, after the storm is calmed, he asks them, where is your faith? And I used to hear that and, th and think, where is your faith? Like, it, he's kind of like, like, guys, your faith is weak. I actually don't think he's saying that. I'm saying, I think he's saying, when he says, where's your faith? What was your faith in? Where's your faith? What was your faith in? You see, when we're, when we're sinning, when we're struggling, when our faith is weak, it actually is our faith is in the wrong thing. Our hope is in that this thing will help us. Whether it's alcohol, our jobs, our family, being an excellent parent, being an excellent Christian, my own labor, my own efforts, pornography, whatever it is. My hope is in, my faith is in, we don't think in those terms. I don't say I'm putting my faith in these things, but functionally, you're asking them to help you. And so Jesus is asking, where is your faith? Can your faith be in your own efforts? Can your faith be in your decision to follow Jesus? My prayer is different. I pray differently. Knowing this means that I can just sit there and I don't have anything to say and I'll sometimes start prayer with, here I am, God. And I'll just sit there and I'll, I'll, I'll just think about him and I'll enjoy him because prayer is not a performance. Prayer is connection. Prayer is another opportunity to come to Jesus. Every time we sin is another opportunity to come to Jesus. Every time we get distracted in prayer is an opportunity to come to Jesus. Every time our Bible reading becomes dry is another, another reason to come back to Jesus and say, this has gotten, this has become a performance for me. I forgot who I am. I forgot that I'm eternally loved, eternally chosen, eternally blessed. Remember in verse three, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's present tense. He's already done it. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We already have it. Okay. I said... If, if, if you're not yet a believer, you can listen back in now because, because none of that is helpful to know that God chooses some and, and, and um, 
and that he loves them eternally and had them in their mind. I, I said that that's not gonna be helpful. You don't do evangelism in that way. But Paul wants Christians to understand this because it's gonna keep you from pride. It's gonna keep you dependent on him. It's going to keep you grateful. It's going to keep you in awe of him, loving him, giving him glory, giving him worship. But now I wanna to talk to those who have yet to put their faith in Jesus. And if you're wondering, am I one of the chosen? Here's what happens. We read it today. In verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What happens is you hear the truth of the gospel, you believe it, the Holy Spirit comes in and, and, and you are sealed. Your eyes are opened and things start to make sense. Things become lovely again. The truth is, there's nothing lovely about you. There's nothing good other than where you bear the image of God. You are incredibly sinful and separated from God. We feel it. And when you cry out and call out, God, save me. Repentance is where it starts. And you can do that. You can do that today. In fact, uh, in, in just a moment, the ushers will come up. And they're going to bring communion. This is a uh, reflection on what Jesus has done for us. It's not just the beginning. It's, it's our whole lives we consider. We are sinful we are loved, we are thought of from the foundation of the world. Let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll go through communion together. God, we are just floored at this idea that you had me, that you had all of us in mind when you created the world and you put your plan, your purpose of salvation in place from the foundation of the world. There are no mistakes. Everything according to your will. God, we are, we are humbled by that. And if we rightly understand that, we are, we are, we are dismantled by that. But God, you have asked us to rest in it. That we would build our foundation on that truth of who you are and who we are in Christ. God, we praise your name. It's your name we pray, amen.